0: This podcast is sponsored by LiveProducersOnline.com, a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production. What's up, everybody? This is Dan Giffen. I'm the host. I couldn't be more excited than I am right now to share with you. We finally launched the new website in May of 2018 and the website LiveProducersOnline.com. It's a membership site, so you can sign up, and members will have access to unlimited courses. Uh, They'll have live chat with Ableton producers and Ableton experts. Uh, You'll have discussion groups, and it's basically a social profile that you create as a member to connect with other Ableton Live users and producers from around the world. And uh, you have live chat, uh, discussion groups, and access to unlimited courses and a variety of different topics teaching Ableton Live and music production. So go to the website. Um, right now, the membership is actually closed, and we are only opening the membership multiple times throughout the year. So if you go to the website, lifeproducersonline.com, and you click the Join Now button, then you can go and subscribe to our email list, and we'll notify you and let you know when the membership reopens. And in the meantime, we'll send you a bunch of good content and tips and tricks on how to produce music. So go to the website, check that out, and here is a preview of today's podcast.
1: You know, you know, Ableton is more than a DAW. You know, it, Ableton it is. is a whole world, and yep, it, 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 it really is in it's in a class of its own, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has features and workflows that only Ableton has. First of all, like this is the best time ever to do what we're doing. It's insane, right. and and we're lucky to be in that time. Yeah. Um, and and when I started. You had to have a $200,000 console and a $40,000 tape machine. And, and not everyone could do that. Like if your dad invented Petco or something, then you could do it. But it, it...
0: <laughs> Welcome everybody to another episode of Ableton Live Music Producer Podcast. I am your host, Dan Giffen. And today we have an extra special guest with us. One of my good friends and mentors who taught me a lot of the things I know today with music production and mixing and mastering. His name is Daniel Wyatt. He is a multi-platinum Grammy and Emmy-nominated audio engineer um, with credits from Ultra Records uh, to Old Dirty Bastard, Nora Jones, and is one of the most influential mixing and mastering instructors and course designers today. In the last decade, he taught over 1,000 producers and audio engineers how to mix and master modern styles. Of music from deep house to techno, trance, hip hop, all that good stuff. And uh, I'm really thankful to have him here today. Uh, Danny, not too long ago, ended up launching his own online academy called Next Level Sound, uh, previously known as Mixmaster Wyatt Academy. Uh, He's also taught at SAE and DubSpot a school for budding DJs and producers. So without further ado, Danny Wyatt, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm stoked to have you, man.
1: Uh, I'm stoked to be here. Thank
0: you, Dan. Yes. We're gonna have a good time. It's always good vibes. And we always have a good time. Always. I think it's a Daniel thing. We just are naturally just inclined to be great people. It's an excellent <laughs> name. I mean, it is a great know. name. I've it had really it my is. whole life. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, we usually start off these podcasts just trying to get to know our guests. And uh, for all of our wonderful listeners tuning in, uh, just tell them a little bit about yourself, maybe your musical background and how you got started into the whole music industry thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I started out playing violin as a little kid in Quaker school uh, in Philadelphia. And it was, that was my introduction to music. And I think I was pretty terrible, but, you know, it was cute. (laughs) And then, uh, and then I kind of got away from it and I came back to, in high school to playing drums. I enjoyed it, but I don't think I was a natural and as hard as I tried, like the natural kids could sit down and just kill me. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I was like, okay, this is cool. This is an, you know it's a gateway into music which I love couldn't do it so I fell away from that again but was always into music and going to parties and dancing and having fun and you know break dancing and you know just I was I was into the music and then I think around eighteen or nineteen I began playing uh, congas Afro Cuban and Afro Haitian um, music and I had a really amazing teacher John Amira uh, who was in Manhattan. And he sort of taught me from the ground up and uh, I began to also support him doing dance classes in New York city and, you know, playing for like two hours constantly. And we, I think I got paid like five bucks, nice. maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, right. uh, but it was amazing and it was fun. And we also, uh, I was lucky enough to, to assist him to play like voodoo ceremonies out in Brooklyn. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it started like at eleven o'clock at night and went all the way till seven in the morning. Oh, that's crazy! With people getting possessed and yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> so like, wow. so that 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 was kind of that's how, a story. Yeah, it, it's all true. Um, so anyway, I I kept up with the congas. Um, I I went to Columbia University. We had sort of a almost like a drum circle group, which I always describe as music that's more fun to participate in than to listen to. Uh, (laughs) You know? (laughs) Right. Most drum (laughs) circles are that way when it's not
0: like a professional setting. That is true.
1: I think it's, yeah, I think it's much more fun to be in the circle than to listen to the drum circle. Sure. But um, we formed a band and it was called Repercussions. And we started writing songs out of, from drum circles to songs. And we had a great singer, uh, Nicole Willis, and a great bass player, uh, Jonathan Marin. And you know these guys are all better musicians than me, but I <laughs> hung in there as good as yeah. I could. Yeah, yeah, and and I sort of you know s- tried to organize the the production side and doing demos uh, and that kind of thing. And so we we played a lot in New York City. We had residencies, and we got discovered by Scott Barkham, and he was working with Gary Katz, who had produced Steely Dan and all this very famous classic rock. And they came to a show and they're like, wow, this is like real musicianship and real songs and a real singer. And they, f- we got flown out to Warner brothers and Lenny Warneker, who signed Prince. And he was the head of Warner brothers gave us a $2 million record deal based on one song. That's nice. Yeah. That does that's, not happen anymore. No, uh, that's very and, rare. And it probably shouldn't have happened then. Um, <laughs> but it did. And we went into the studio, which was sort of the way that they did it back in in those days in the nineties. I was one of the producers, but since I had no track record, um nobody you know they didn't trust me with the two million dollar budget. so Gary was sort of a co-producer, almost sort of like a chaperone to the dance a little bit, just making sure like nothing really naughty happened yeah, yeah. Um, and and Elliot Shiner was our engineer for a good deal of it who's one of the top engineers, you know, of our time who did, you know, the Eagles and Steely Dan and all kinds of stuff, Bruce Hornsby and the yeah. classic stuff. So, all the classics. so he was my first stand behind him, look over his shoulder teacher. I mean, he would explain stuff, but it was kind of a high pressure, big budget thing. So I never wanted to slow it down too much, but I watched him. So that was sort of my, because I, I was sort of self-taught before that. And, you know, we all know out there listening, self-taught can be tricky. It's sure. a non-linear, super long process. It's, you know, and are right. we just piecing stuff together. But I was lucky to watch some really good people. So anyway, we finished the record. It, nobody agreed on how it should sound. I wanted it to sound like the Fugees or something. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Gary, Gary wanted it to sound like Steely Dan with no bass or no low end. Yeah. So, so he would run out to... T- smoke a cigarette and i turn the bass up and then I'd go out to get lunch and he'd turn the bass back down and we did that for like a year right um bass wars yeah the record exactly bass wars it was it was bass wars the record finally got finished and right as we were going to release it in the U.S. Lenny Warnerker quit and went to DreamWorks so we were sort of like the expensive pet project of the guy who just left And, uh, so we got zero promotion in the U S we would go to shows. Oh yeah. We go to shows in Ohio. There'd be like four people, but for whatever reason, that style of music was popular in Japan at that time. So we would get off the plane in Japan and there'd be like thousands of screaming fans who wanted us to to sign their body parts and stuff. And, and, (laughs) and we get in a taxi and Madonna's song would be on, and our song would be on, and we had a hit radio song. Oh, that's which awesome. Which was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was surreal. We were famous in Japan, which is a, was a blessing.
0: Now, could you uh, understand uh, most <laughs> of your fans in Japan? Was there a language barrier there? A huge, huge <laughs> a language huge barrier. Just doing sign uh, language, like thank lots you.
1: Of, lots of awkward smiling.
0: And bowing,
1: and. Yeah, <laughs> lots of that, and just yeah. head nodding. That's funny. Um, yeah, but we 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 spoke the, the language of love and music. And sure. And so that kind of lasted for two years, where we were rock stars in Japan. You know, the band broke up fighting about imaginary money that didn't exist. Yeah, uh, which many bands do. That's um, common. Long, long arguments about money that hasn't even right. come in. I, I
0: always tell people, <laughs> I always tell people that like there's usually three things that break up bands. It's usually money, or like girls and relationships. Or like people having kids. And that usually goes back to number two, back to the relationships. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Those things, <laughs> things go together. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah.
1: I liked being a performer. I liked having a little bit of a rock star experience, but I love the studio. Yeah. You know? I love yeah. uh, being in the air conditioning, ordering sushi and making a song perfect. Yeah, And anyway, I just like sleeping in my own bed and working in studio and technology yeah. and stuff. It's
0: nice. Yeah, <laughs> not having to sleep on a bus or in a van for long periods of time. It's, yeah, having your you own You know home. the deal. It's yeah.
1: glamorous at first, and then it, it gets is. a little repetitive. You know, I think.
0: living out of a suitcase, <laughs> no matter how nice your suitcase, is just not the same as being able to, you know, sit around your house in your underwear when you want to at home. You know, that's...
1: A hundred percent. and And even even the studio, like working on new music all the time was different than playing the same set five nights a week. Yeah. You know that it just, it just became a little repetitive to me. Yep. You know, I was, I think I could, I could do more in production than I could do live. And, and that, that, that's also part of it for me. So I opened up one of the first pro tool studios in New York city in the New Yorker hotel on the 15th floor. The New York, the hotel guys thought it would be cool to that's not awesome. finish some, finish some rooms. It was sort of like an inexpensive tourist hotel. And they were like, we have this whole empty floor and we'll have like music producers. And that's awesome. It was, they hated. it. They regretted the idea as soon as they did it. It was like, <laughs> they just they hear drums playing Drums like, and all weed the time, smoke. You know? And oh, yeah, it was just like, it was, it was just, it sounded whole, cool. It's, yeah. They thought it would be cool. They kicked everybody out. That's after great. three years. But oh, wow. for the three years we were there, it was like engineers from Wu-Tang Clan were there. Oh, um, nice. Arthur Baker was there. Raucous Records was there. That's cool. Um, and it was amazing because people would just walk up and down the halls um, and all kinds of music was coming out of everywhere. And yeah, places. sure. So, so the Raucous guys kept bugging me. Danny, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I was like, you guys are killing me. Just make me like a staff engineer and then you can always ask me stuff. Right. So they asked me to start engineering stuff. And it was like Talib Kweli and Mostef, um, Lyricist Lounge, uh, you know, all this really cool backpacker hip hop that actually sold and people loved. So yeah. I was able to do, be, you know, do a lot of engineering on that stuff and additional production. So, so I kind of worked on all kinds of music because in New York City there was all kinds of music and you yeah. became extremely well-rounded and i'm
0: sure it helped living in new york city i mean absolutely for the time i spent there it was incredible how many people i ended up meeting in like the first two weeks that i was there it's you know, just, it was just being at the being at the bar you never really know who you're sitting next to like i ended up meeting the producer that made the the track like a g6 that came right, out like right. five or six years ago right. and he, he bought me a drink i had no idea who he was until <laughs> i was about to
1: leave i'm like oh that's crazy like a lot. You, you know, it's, it it's, 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 I totally agree. It's interesting because this was, you know, sort of pre-internet and early internet where you had to live geographically close to the hotspot right. and now you don't. Uh, but it's funny because I'm in the suburbs now. So when I go to New York city, it's not exactly that same vibe as it was back in the day.
0: It's oh, Okay. So,
1: so, someone, someone described New York city now as a mild corporate lounge. <laughs> and uh that's and good it, it, I like that I can see and, that that is yeah it, it's just it just everything changes and yeah. I think it, I was in New York City at a really cool time yeah um when it wasn't so expensive and artists could live there and now I think Berlin is the hot city for music I really do yeah I think LA too you know yeah
0: well Berlin's um, where Ableton Live is from which is what our a lot of our listeners are into so I'm all Berlin about is the, the hot music. spot it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got Native Instruments there. SoundCloud is yeah. there. I mean, yep. yeah, absolutely. That's true. But New um, York City
1: back at this time was, was really happening. So,
0: Yeah, and I, I kind of want to transition because I sure. want to pick, pick your brain on some things because I know that you, you are extremely versatile. Like You've worked in a lot of different areas, worked with a lot of great producers and artists. Yes. And so I want to be able to pick some of your brain and, and, and get into the, the depths of mixing. You know, when I, I took your class at DoveSpot years and years ago yeah, and yeah. and back in the good old DoveSpot days. And one thing I learned is, you know, I don't need to go out and buy a ton of fancy gear to have like, no. a studio with like software because technology has yeah. changed so much. A lot of our listeners have tiny home studios or they're just getting started. Um, And so I really want to kind of get get into the depths of helping them. So. I guess going into like um, the mixing side of things, like uh, with your next level sound and a lot of the courses that you teach now, like you are all about the mixing game and you use a lot of plugins and software yes. so people don't have to go about and like, you know, destroy their piggy banks on like, you know, big SSL consoles or anything. If I was starting out as a beginner and I wanted to start mixing my own tracks and say like, you know, I was wanting to make music a career or I just wanted to like basically have my own home studio and mixing with people What are some like common mistakes I guess you see starting out that maybe you learn from, or you see a lot of beginners doing?
1: Well, you you know, I think that it's interesting because uh, we're in this beautiful golden age of music production technology. And, um, you know, when I listen to current productions, independent productions, pop productions too, but really a lot of great independent music, the quality is so good. It's ridiculous. And when you compare Mm -hmm. it, to the, to music from even five years ago, 10 years ago, it's not as HD. It's not as powerful. Yeah. And that's a reflection of the tools and leveling the playing field. So, you know, uh, so first of all, like this is the best time ever to do what we're doing. It's insane. Right. And, and we're lucky to be in that time. Yeah. Um, and, and when I started, you had to have a $200,000 console and a $40,000 tape machine. And, and not everyone could do that. Like if your dad invented Petco or something, then you could do it. But, <laughs> it, it, but if you could if not, nice. it was, it was cost prohibitive and you had to yeah. build a room and you needed, uh, outboard gear that each yeah. stereo tube compressor was $3,000. So it, it, it quickly went to a million dollar thing. Mm-hmm. And then digital technology back in the day was not mature. So, so the, the real pros were like, ah, oh, that stuff's toys. It sounds terrible. And they were right. It did. Early yeah. digital sounded bad. But what happened is analog is, you know, I would say it's like two brothers playing basketball. You know, analog was the older brother, so he was taller. And digital was the little brother, so he was shorter. But what happened was analog big brother stopped growing, really. I mean, do analog yeah. innovations happen? Kind of, sort of. Yeah. But not really. Yeah. But big digital, brother, big, big but brother little got brother arthritis. kept growing. <laughs> right. Little brother kept growing. And he grew growing. up. And he grew up Yeah. and then he grew up to be taller than his older brother. Yeah. And then the final knockout punch was he stole all the tricks from his older brother. Mm. And he said, Oh, okay. I know you have some good analog stuff. Let me, let me, you know, get that saturation, that tape saturation, that console saturation, tube saturation, transistors, transformers. Let me take all the Vidi stuff, big brother that you used to have over me. And let me learn that too. Yeah, because when digital came out at first without all the analog modeling from UAD and Slate, it was cold and anemic and thin and brittle and not good. And yeah. it wasn't until some of these companies went back to say, you know, well, let's get the sound of tape. Let's get the sound of console. What the, one of the big mistakes is buying every single plug-in advertisement that you see. Because you don't, you know, one of the things we do at Next Level Sound is we curate stuff for you. And even though we have a universalist approach, which means whatever doll you like, it's fine. Whatever plugins you have, it's fine. We are passionate about the ones that we love, and not yeah. everyone in the school uses the same ones. But you know, what do we love? Well, we love FabFilter. Yeah, um, we love I love FabFilter. S- s- we love certain Isotope products for sure um they're in our in our staples for us we yeah. love valhalla yes uh that's a beautiful love, reverb god bless him and for um, real. we use slate we love slate mm-hmm. um you know just because the price the passion of that company and the subscription and also,
0: plan is, is brilliant
1: it's brilliant and it the is. quality is amazing and yeah. it's very dsp efficient so on very big mixes you yeah, can have console and you know eleven seventy sixes and distressors on like tons of yeah things without without having to render them on your basic uh, laptop, you know, and you can still yeah, get that sound. Yeah, and they keep coming out with good stuff. Um, right. uh, UAD, of course, we love. It's very expensive. Yeah, it is, and and you know, honestly, to go back to your point a second ago,
0: is I think the proof of how good technology has gotten um, is that you have companies like Universal Audio that has gone directly to the manufacturers. I think the proof is UAD, I mean, they've gone to like API and, and said, you know, hey, we'd like to work with you to develop software for the actual hardware that's legendary. And, and yep. the, fact, the fact that API and, you know, uh, Neve and all these other companies were like, sure, you know, they actually let them release that into the world with their name on it proves that it's good.
1: No, no, 100%. And, and I think, you know, people still ask me, do I need hardware? And the answer is No. You know, if you have the right collection of analog model plugins, you don't need it. And it's in fact, and if you have it, is it cool? Sure. It is cool. It's and do a lot of people work in these kind of hybrid setups? Yes, they do. They make big songs. They sure do. So I'm not anti analog. But but what I don't like is when I hear people say, oh, well if you don't have outboard gear, you're not going to get that good sound. Right. Because cause it's just not true.
0: It's the sex appeal. I think it is. As people walk into the studio and they see that giant like API or something. And they're like, Oh, it looks so cool and pretty. And it's like, yeah. It, it looks pretty and it's nice and it sounds great, but I can get that same sound pretty close to it just on my laptop, but really or better of, you know, or better or better or better. Eh, or better. Yeah. Cause because you don't have to solder that board every five years, <laughs> you know, and it sounds the same every time you pull up the plugin.
1: Yeah, it, it does. And you know, um, you're not getting ushered out of the room. You can work on it until it sounds right to you. exactly. and, oh, and yeah. you know, people say like, well, does it sound as good as the real thing where well, there's a lot of variables because, like you said, if a transistor is old, if a tube is old, if the left channel and the right channel don't sound the same, you know, there, if, yeah. you know it, it, there's so many factors to maintaining analog gear. You know, when we were back in the days, there was a guy who would sit in a windowless room, chain-smoking cigarettes, breathing in solder, <laughs> who got paid $60,000 an hour to just wait for something to break. Right. You know, right. So, so, I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, if you own a yacht... You better have a way to maintain that yacht. Sure. Um,
0: Insurance is going to be expensive (laughs) and all the overhead. And and the classes, the Ableton Live classes I teach with my students at the studio and online is, I just tell them, like, you know, if you're going to record audio, just get, like, a great interface. You know, invest in plugins if you need that. And learn how to use what you have. You know, I mean, Ableton Live and Pro Tools and Logic, I mean, they have decent stock stuff that you can sure. get, you can get I'm a sure. good sound out of, you know, and, oh, yeah. people just starting out, it's easy to like get plug-in happy, but you know, there are definitely things to say about the plugins, like all the ones you just mentioned that will really take it to the next level for sure. Um, yeah. But- and, and
1: I think people just have to resist that all of a sudden, you know, they see an ad, the marketing's great. They feel like their life is not complete unless they get it. There's some fancy person on the ad. Right. So then they, you know, and, but it's not really about having all the plugins in existence. It's about sure. choosing ones that are curated and then learning how to use them and getting a workflow.
0: Exactly. And exactly. it's all,
1: you know, next level sound mix master wide Academy too, even at the other schools that I taught, that's, that was the thing that separated out. I think my approach from other people's approaches, you know, there were definitely a lot of mixing teachers who were like come on the studio and watch me mix. Well, you know, <laughs> that's cool. Sure. You know, yeah. And then they would say stuff like, you know, you just got to feel it. And, uh, every mix, it. every mix is just different. Every mix is open your mind. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and, and students are just like, how long does that like, mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and the bottom line is, yes, yeah. you do have to feel it. Yeah. You do have to feel it, but you need a defined workflow, Sure. And, absolutely, and, absolutely. You know, you have to know what to do next. The it's choices true. that you make are your choices. They're your personal taste. Yeah. But, but you can't, you know, like, okay, I'm going to start to build a mix and I'm going to start with the hi-hat and then I'm going to do all the reverbs and then I'm going to add the bass and then I'm going to add the kick last. Well, okay. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> no, I'm so
0: glad you brought <laughs> that up because everybody and their grandma has a master class now, right? Sure. It seems like everybody has their master class. But
1: my the grandma's master class is really good, by the way. Oh, so. mine is too.
0: No, okay, okay. awesome. good. <laughs> yeah, she, she, my grandma's on the leading edge of technology. <laughs> okay, so, mine, too. mine yeah. too. Yeah, but yeah. no. What I was what I was going to say is, uh, not everybody should teach. You know that that's the reality. Is is not everybody is a great teacher. You know, and everybody yeah. can have a master class. Yeah. That's one thing I really admire about you, and that's one thing that I've been really blessed to is to learn from great people and to be able to teach myself and get really good feedback and and to grow and follow somebody else who actually has a methodical approach of what they do rather than just be like, try this, try this, try this, you know?
1: And I ask even the most advanced people to start at the beginning, uh, with mixing foundations, because we just do a whole week on compression, whole week on saturation.
0: That's good. So let me, let me ask you a more specific question, I guess. Like when you, when somebody say sends you um, their song, right? They've produced it. They don't really know much about mixing or mastering, and they yeah. just send you a song and they want you to mix it. Yeah. What's What's some of the first initial steps that you take approaching a brand new mix? Like, what are some of the things you think of in the very initial stages? And you listen to for
1: sure. Yeah, yeah. I I always ask for a reference track because mm-hmm. it's art and it's crazy subjective, which is a good thing. And I have my taste, but I also want to see the producer's vision. So I'll ask for uh, a reference track, not to match it, like I'm going to match the kick drum, but just to get a vibe. And uh, so the first thing I do is I listen to the reference track the whole way through and just try to see what they, you know, guess a little bit what they're going for, what they liked about it. And then I'll listen to what I call the unity mix or the all faders up mix and just listen down through the whole thing and see what the production mix sounds like and how organized it is. And then from there, I import the reference track into the session and I pull all the faders down and I start with the kick or whatever the most prominent low frequency element is and I channel strip it and make it beautiful. And then I balance it against the mix bus that you know I start with and my mix bus plugins, and then I build the drums, I build the bass, I get the side chaining grooving. And then I try to add each element in what I imagine to be the order of importance. So I try to do the the main chords. I'll get the vocal in very early if there is a vocal, um, just so I can feel the song. And I try to just get the meat of the song going uh, right away. And then I do the detailed work. I find if I do the details too early and the, the meat of the song is not right, I wasted my time. Because I have to redo all the little things because of the relative, the relativity of mixing yeah um, so so that's my, that's my basic approach, and then I, I switch a lot with the reference as I'm going uh, just to guide me and and then you know uh, I'll finish it with the sort of the final automation, and I'll send a mix to the client and let them live with it, and then you know it's rarely a hole in one it, it, that's just not what our business is um it's yeah. cha- changes and i just encourage people to live with it long enough that i can do all the changes at once and of course it's never perfect world but usually by the second or third version it's good to go and then what i like to do at the end is once they love one i usually make some alts just to see if we can beat it for for them or for me I, i'm always curious mm-hmm. and you know uh and then they can live with those alt mixes and then, you know, things are good to go. And, and I usually, I mean, I almost always have a separate mixing and mastering stage. I, 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 sometimes, you know, I'll give people a mix that has some limiting on it and a, a simple mix, bu- a master bus so that mm-hmm. they can kind of hear it like mastered. But yeah. I, 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 I do believe in a separate mastering session Yeah, Um, and for some of our our
0: noob listeners who maybe are just getting into producing or just getting into mixing, can you just define real quick for us the difference between mixing and mastering? Because sometimes that gets confused for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, mixing is taking the individual production elements and relating all of them um, with usually a pretty simple plug-in chain on the mix bus. I like to do console and tape. And then once the drums and bass are built, I'll add a limiter as a placeholder and squeeze down on the mix and finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you have two options when you're sort of done with the mix. You can create a pre-master, which is just that mix with the mix bus plugins bypassed and some headroom. And then the mastering engineer, whoever that is, can master that stereo pre-master. And that's cool, but I don't... Love that as much as making stems, right? And yeah. stems, you know, are composite tracks where you break a forty-eight channel mix down into maybe twelve stems: kick mm-hmm. by itself, maybe snare, clap by itself, the rest of the drums maybe you can live together. Sub bass by itself, bass by itself. Maybe all the chords can live together, the leads can live together. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. And then if you take if you take those into uh, <clears throat> into a mastering session, then you can really make it like perfect, you know, yeah. because if you're mastering, then in the mastering stage, we create a big master bus um, on the master bus or the mix bus, whatever you want to call it. Lots of different compressors, EQs, saturators, limiters, wideners, you know, all kinds of different things, de and you make a very complex mastering chain. And we also, of course, teach mastering and next level sound too. Um, so, and I think it's important for people to learn mastering, whether they want to do it or not, because it makes you smarter producer. It's part of your producer training. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I I agree. You know what I mean? I would say that, that mixing is like cooking and mastering is like baking. And
0: I, and I think it's good to learn how to cook before you bake. Otherwise you would just be super fat because all you eat is cookies. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Unless they were
1: gluten-free. Um well, yeah, that's true. If they were you know like, what I'm saying? Whole foods protein cookies. Oh, right. protein cookies. So <laughs> so but um you know, so so that the the mastering process is the final creative process before distribution where you try to match it to commercial loudness of whatever that genre r- requires. Mm-hmm. Uh and then whatever playback system, is it gonna be a festival, is it on the radio, is it going yeah. to Spotify, whatever? And it's your final creative touches. And the nice thing is if you're doing a stereo mastering and if the kick drum isn't bright enough, there's not much you can do. But if you have the stems, you can EQ the kick stem in your mastering session and make it perfect. So I'm a stem mastering person. That's what I love.
0: Absolutely. Me too. I love because a lot of times you just don't know what you're going to get in the first place. And it can, it can actually sometimes take you longer when you're mastering. If you get like a subpar mix, that's a stereo bounce and, and you're working extra hard to try to fix mistakes and things that you could easily just correct faster with
1: a stem. I mean, absolutely. Not only does it take longer, but then the result isn't satisfying. Exactly. Then then you're, then you're doubly mad. You know, <laughs> right. you're like, this took me forever. And you know what? It is right. like, It is what it is, I guess. It is what it is. Yeah. And that's just kind of a crappy way to end a It's a sad project. way to end yeah. the project.
0: It really is. It, it is. So true.
1: I'm I'm all about the stems.
0: You know, and, and I'm glad we're having this conversation. I've, I, a lot of students I teach, you know, they, they want to learn mastering. But I know that they don't fully grasp and have the experience or the tools to even mix really well yet. And yeah. it's and it's yeah. it's you need to understand how to mix really well before you can master and you, there's different tools and different resources you know so I guess if if somebody wanted to go in and start their own home studio on a limited budget okay yep. say say somebody's yep. like you know what I've been producing for a little bit I want to get more into the mixing mastering thing where yep. should they where should they invest their money
1: I think what I would say is this I think if you can't hear You can't produce, you know, that's where the guys at sonar works in Latvia. I love these guys and they're amazing because they, they can calibrate your headphones, but they can also calibrate your room and it's not expensive. And so I think you get the biggest speakers that you can, that makes sense for the size of the room. Most music these days, you have to be able to monitor the low end. So I like an eight inch woofer. Did I work on six inch woofers on small rooms? I did and make it, I made it work and it was fine. Yeah. But I like big speakers. It's, I, I like big speakers and not to work at a very loud level. And I like to hear a full bass response at a low listening level. That's what I love. Um, so, so I think get with sonar works and let them calibrate your room and your headphones. It makes a huge difference. We love them at our school. Um, and then I would get a really good computer uh, and then I would get a good DAW that you like. I'm a Cubase person, mm-hmm. but we have everybody at our school. We have tons of people using Ableton. Yeah. We have Logic. We have Studio One. We have uh, Pro Tools, Bitwig, uh, FL Studio. You know, the, you know, Ableton is more than a DAW. You know, it, Ableton it is. is a whole world, and yep, it it, it, it really is in it's in a class of its own, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has features and workflows that only Ableton has. But I think, you know, Ableton, man, just for production, sound design, arranging, it's there's nothing like it. There's yeah, just nothing it like it. It does all of it. it really I does. know. In a very unique way that's very powerful, but also, yeah. you know, can be very immediate. So yeah. you know, um and, and the built in plugins work extremely well what should someone who's starting out do i think they should get the best speakers they can get the best computer they can get i think they should pick a doll that they love it's very much a personal preference yeah and and then um yeah yeah no that's really good stuff um we talked about a bunch of different third-party software
0: you talked about um the, having a low frequency mix in the room i found that that was difficult you know i had all the bells and whistles and toys for my home studio that i got set up but I yep. found that that low end is some of the hardest parts to mix. And most people have smaller rooms, their sure. studios and they struggle. And I ended up uh, coming across this thing. It's called a sub pack. Oh yeah. Are you dude. familiar
1: with that? Think all day. Oh, people it changed my life. I know. I'll never a, be the same. You get a ever massage. No, it's amazing. <laughs> it it, uh, uh, no, <laughs> it people...
0: really is the best back massage you'll ever have. You just strap <laughs> it to your chair. for People who don't know they're listening. It's literally a speaker. That play, I think it's plays below 120 Hertz or something like that. Yep. And, and you just strap it to the back of your chair. They also have a book bag version and it can be Bluetooth to sync up to your phone or you just plug it in at aux. You can feel the bass, like. When it comes to sidechain compression between my kick and my bass, yeah, you can—it's not even just hearing anymore; you, you feel, feel it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like that. It's like, but it's like leaning up against the subwoofer at a club. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, without, we have, without
1: going deaf. Yeah. No, 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 hundred percent. No, we have uh, a ton of devout sub-pack people. I personally don't have one in my room. My room is kind of. Acoustically treated by fancy yeah. guys. Oh, yeah.
0: Your ureth sounds fantastic. You don't even really need it. No, but it, you know it's like, a fun toy. Yeah, for, for sure. Oh yeah, for no, you. No.
1: Yeah, but, um, but but people uh, love it, and they they're religious about their subject. Best Christmas gift I ever bought for myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> right. Cool. Well, Danny, we are we are pretty much out of time. Um, thank you so much for joining us, uh, man. I'd- I know that all of our listeners are going to thoroughly enjoy hearing your voice throughout this podcast episode. And um, hopefully we get to have you back again in the near future. Uh, Go ahead and tell us where people
1: can find you online, learn more about you and your school. Uh, Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for having me. And Dan, we, you know, we'll we'll keep it going. We've been doing it for years. Uh, It's nextlevelsound.com. And if anyone wants to email me, uh, Danny at nextlevelsound.com. Or uh go to the website, look around, and hit us on the live chat. We're almost always there. Uh if not, we'll see that you hit us and we'll hit you right back. But it's a complete integrated school with uh mixing and mastering, uh composition, uh business. So uh yeah, so it's and you can go from the departments, we have a complete program and it's integrated. All the all the departments talk and are friends and that's great man come chill with us yeah yeah
0: perfect dude well thank you so much for joining us um you know for those of our listeners that have already been tuning in uh we are also starting a online site teaching just ableton live um and we'll be launching in two weeks early may 2018 um and it's going to be a social platform and we'll have multiple instructors teaching ableton live and how to produce music. Um, but yeah, man, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will definitely talk again soon. Everybody go check out Danny's stuff and, uh, yeah, stay tuned for more stuff coming and, uh, I'll talk to you later, man.
1: Thanks All a right. lot. Th- thank you, man. Thanks for having me. All
0: right. All right take it easy. <laughs> okay. Easy. Thanks. Bye. I couldn't be more excited than I am right now to share with you. We finally launched the new website in May of 2018 and the website liveproducersonline.com. It's a membership site, so you could sign up and members will have access to unlimited courses. Uh, they'll have live chat with Ableton producers and Ableton experts. Uh, you'll have discussion groups, and it's basically a social profile that you create as a member to connect with other Ableton Live users and producers from around the world. And uh, you have live chat, uh, discussion groups, and access to unlimited courses in a variety of different topics teaching Ableton Live and music production. So go to the website, And we are only opening the membership multiple times throughout the year. So if you go to the website, liveproducersonline.com, and you click the Join Now button, then you can go and subscribe to our email list, and we'll notify you and let you know when the membership reopens. And in the meantime, we'll send you a bunch of good content and tips and tricks on how to produce music. This podcast is sponsored by liveproducersonline.com, a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production.